Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the story of Sonia McCaskey. But first, your true crime headlines. The owner of a vegan restaurant in Santa Barbara, California, has been charged with soliciting the murder of his ex-girlfriend, a judge, and two members of the sheriff's department. 33-year-old Tyler Bierman was arrested in April and charged with three counts of solicitation of murder, inducing false testimony by threat and dissuading a witness. His girlfriend, Giselle Castano-Diaz, was also charged with one count of solicitation of murder, dissuading a witness, and destroying or concealing evidence. The pair were charged in December of 2018 with stalking Bierman's ex-girlfriend, and while Bierman was in jail, it is alleged that he offered to pay a fellow inmate $20,000 to kill his ex-girlfriend and $40,000 to kill a detective who he believed was dating his ex-girlfriend. Bierman and Diaz are scheduled to appear in court in mid-January 2020. Until then, Bierman is being held without bail. A trial is underway in San Luis Obispo for a former Lyft driver accused of sexually assaulting a passenger last year. Jason Lamont Fenwick was driving for the rideshare app last November when he was summoned by Arroyo Grande police to pick up a woman identified only as Jane Doe. The woman had been out drinking with her boyfriend that evening, and while driving home, the couple was pulled over by police, and the boyfriend was arrested on suspicion of DUI. Police called a lift for the woman, and Fenwick arrived around 1.20 a.m. He drove the intoxicated woman to her home and helped her inside, and then she alleges that he sexually assaulted her while she was passed out. Fenwick contends that the encounter was consensual. Home security footage from the victim's home shows him taking cell phone photos with the alleged victim while she was passed out, snooping around her home, and leaving himself a $20 tip on the Lyft app before leaving the house. Fenwick is charged with assaulting during the commission of a burglary oral copulation of an intoxicated person, sexual penetration by a foreign object, burglary, and unlawful use of a concealed recording device. He has pled not guilty to all the charges against him. A South Carolina man has been found guilty of the domestic violence murder of his estranged wife in 2017. It took jurors just over an hour to find Jason Lee guilty of first-degree murder and first-degree burglary for killing 31-year-old Lindsay Lee, his estranged wife, just weeks before their divorce was to be finalized. Lindsay Lee was found dead in her home on March 14, 2017. She had been strangled and her throat slashed, and she was left in her bathtub with the water running. Investigators believe that her husband Jason a locksmith by trade, had broken into the home that he once shared with his estranged wife and that he waited for her to return home for the evening and then attacked her. Her body was found the next morning after she failed to show up for work. The two had been separated for about a year before Lee was found murdered. In that time, friends testified, Lee had lost more than 100 pounds, was happily dating, 
and ready to move on from her marriage. Her husband, however, was unwilling to let her go and instead took her life, according to prosecutors. Jurors agreed with their theory and found Jason Lee guilty on all charges. A judge handed down two life sentences for those convictions. Jason Lee maintains his innocence and intends to appeal the verdict. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Sonia McCaskey. But first, a quick break. My health and beauty routine is an important part of my everyday life. And it's not just about looking fabulous and keeping fit. For me, self-care is a ritual. A moment in my busy day when I get to relax, take a break, and treat myself to a little bit of self-love. So I'm always on the hunt for quality new beauty and lifestyle products to keep my routine fresh without breaking the bank. That's why I love FabFitFun. FabFitFun is self-care made simple. Boxes of new products are delivered straight to my door. So I don't have to find time in my busy schedule to go shopping when I could be unwinding in a bubble bath. And these products aren't just samples. Each seasonal box comes with 8 to 10 full-size beauty, fitness, home, and wellness products from your favorite brands. A $200 value for the luxurious VIP price of just $49.99. Just visit their website, fabfitfun.com, and curate your own box. My favorites in this month's box are the Dry Bar Prep Rally Detangler, the Coffee Body Scrub, and these cozy PJ Salvage slippers. For $10 off your first box, visit fabfitfun.com and use the code MURDERMINUTE. That's $200 worth of full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products for just $39.99. Treat yourself to the gift that keeps on giving. Or treat a friend this holiday season. Visit fabfitfun.com and use the promo code MURDERMINUTE. Ladies, we all know that size matters. But did you know that shape matters as well? If you've been searching for the perfect bra, Third Love is here to support you. Third Love offers over 80 sizes, including their signature half-cup sizes, and their online Fit Finder quiz uses data points generated by millions of women to design bras with breast size and shape in mind to give you the perfect fit in a premium feel and a style that works best for your shape. It's fun and takes less than a minute to complete. I'm a 32B and my shape is the plunge. And this is the most comfortable, best-fitting, most flattering bra I have ever worn. No more slipping straps, no more underwires cutting into your flesh, no more itchy labels. Third Love is made using lightweight, super-thin memory foam cups that mold to your unique shape. And Third Love is so sure that you'll love your bra that they offer their perfect fit promise. Wear your bra for 60 days, wash it, 
And if you don't love it, return it free. And Third Love will give it to a woman in need. Third Love knows that there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, so right now, they're offering Murder Minute listeners 15% off your first order. Visit thirdlove.com slash minute to find your perfect fit and get 15% off your first purchase. Returns and exchanges are free and easy. And Third Love's fit stylists are available to answer any of your questions. You're going to love Third Love. Just visit thirdlove.com slash minute for 15% off today. Welcome back to Murder Minute. This is the story of Sonia McCaskey. Sonia McCaskey was born to Thomas and Dorothy McCaskey in Elgin, Scotland, on February 19, 1939. Shortly after, her father unexpectedly died, so Sonia's mother moved the family to the United States, first to Long Beach, California, and then, in 1954, when Sonia was a teenager, they moved to Tahoe City. The family skied there, and Sonia soon found her passion. She began skiing for her school team at Tahoe Truckee High School. When Sonia found out that the Olympics were coming to her adopted area, Sonia McCaskey wrote to the Ski Club of Great Britain for a chance to ski for her native country. The British team arrived in 1960 and allowed 21-year-old Sonia to try out. She qualified for a spot on the Olympic team and competed in the Winter Olympics for Great Britain. Unfortunately, while skiing the slalom, Sonia took a fall and finished last. After the Olympics, Sonia McCaskey worked part-time as a ski instructor at the Slide Mountain Ski School and also worked as a secretary for Blue Ribbon Meatpacking. Sonia soon married Jeff Schmidt, and the couple had a child together, but divorce quickly followed. Then, Sonia found herself pregnant again by another man and gave birth to a son in 1962. By 1963, Sonia McCaskey was a divorced 24-year-old single mother of two small children living in Reno, Nevada, when she received good news. She had been invited to compete in the next European Skiing Championships of 1964. Sonia was excited to redeem herself after her fall at the Olympics and accept it. But Sonia would never get the opportunity. On April 5th, 1963, when Sonia never showed up to pick up her son from the babysitter, the woman caring for her 10-month-old son called the police and requested that they check on her. Reno police officer Mort Ammerman was dispatched to Sonia McCaskey's home at 2640 Yori Avenue. When Officer Ammerman opened the door, the first thing he saw, laying on the floor in a pool of blood, was Sonia's heart. Wrapped in a blanket nearby was her left foot. 
Then he found the cedar chest. It was also weird that it took me several seconds to realize that it was a human body stuffed into a chest, Officer Ammerman told reporters. I was just there to deliver a message from her babysitter. But when Officer Ammerman saw Sonia McCaskey's body in the chest, he said it was like being hit between the eyes with an axe. Stuffed inside was Sonia's mutilated and dismembered nude body, decapitated with three kitchen knives still stuck in her torso. Her head wrapped in underwear and a white lace tablecloth. Veteran police chief Elmer Briscoe described the scene as the most brutal murder he had ever seen. At first, Reno police suspected that the murder was done by someone who knew Sonia, as they found no sign of forced entry. Someone who may have a knowledge of butcher or surgery skills. A length of rope found with clothespins on the ends as handles was identified as the weapon used to strangle Sonia. A search of her personal belongings turned up Sonia's diary. In it, Sonia wrote poetry and details about her love life, which detectives hoped might lead them to their killer. Over the next week, police questioned all of Sonia's known lovers, as well as the fathers of her two children, but soon cleared them as suspects. Neighbors were interviewed, but no one heard screams or saw anyone enter or leave Sonia's home. More than 40 people were questioned, but police had no leads. A bloody footprint found at the murder scene was a solid clue, but with no suspects, police had no one to match it with. And as day after day, investigators failed to make an arrest, the community began to panic. In the 1950s and early 60s, Reno had been a small, quiet town, the kind of place where people rarely locked their doors. But as details of Sonia's grisly murder hit the newspapers and police failed to apprehend the killer, residents began fearfully double-locking their doors at night, even rushing out to buy new, stronger locks. The local press in Reno did their best to keep some of the most horrifying details of the murder out of the papers. But that didn't stop the national press from running the story, and even printing some of the gruesome crime scene photos. Soon, even the British press had descended on the town to cover the story of their murdered Olympian. The editor of the Reno Evening Gazette couldn't walk down the street without concerned citizens criticizing his coverage of the murder. I could remember people stopping me and deploringly saying, how can your newspaper run this kind of sensational horrific detail, he said. A half a block later, other people would stop me and say, why won't you print the news? We have to read the San Francisco papers to get all the details. Finally, the investigation got its big break when a camera instruction manual was found in Sonia's home, but no camera. John Peavers, 
an investigator with the county district attorney's office tracked down Sonia's camera at a Reno pawn shop. An 18-year-old Worcester High School student, Thomas Lee Bean, sold it to the shop for $10. The young man had given the shop his real name, but a fake address. Nevertheless, police easily tracked him down. And on April 13th, nine days after the murder, the student was arrested. As police walked Thomas Lee Bean into the Reno police station, suddenly he bolted, and the police gave chase. Thomas Bean ran out of the police station and down the street. Five warning shots were fired, and Thomas Bean was again apprehended. Police took him back to the scene of the crime. And there, in Sonia McCaskey's home, Thomas Lee Bean confessed. The 18-year-old had strangled Sonia McCaskey with a length of twine, raped her, and dismembered her body. Thomas Bean told investigators that at one point, as he strangled her, Sonia woke and begged him not to kill her because she was a mother with a baby to care for. I don't know why I cut her up, Bean told investigators. I don't. I just shoved the knife in and started to cut. That's all. Thomas Lee Bean was born in Reno and had an unstable childhood. He moved 18 times in his first 18 years of life. His father, Elza Roy Bean, had worked for a short time as a preacher. Two years before the murder, in June of 1961, then 16-year-old Thomas Bean was arrested in Salt Lake City after he tried to strangle a girl who was sleeping on a porch. She dug her nails into him, and he fled. The family then moved to Las Vegas, and in September of that year, Thomas Bean was transferred to the Nevada Youth Training Center in Elko, a reformatory where he spent eight months under psychiatric evaluation and rehabilitation before rejoining his family in Reno. Just a few weeks before the murder, Thomas's father, Elza, reported Thomas Bean's seven-year-old brother as a runaway, and Thomas Bean assisted police in hunting him down. Thomas Bean said that he hated his father, who favored his younger brother, and that he often spent nights out walking the neighborhood to avoid fighting with his family. On the night of April 4, 1963, Thomas Bean said that he was out driving when he spotted Sonia McCaskey's sports car parked outside of her duplex. Sonia had left her laundry out back to dry. After finding her clothing and undergarments hanging on the clothesline, Thomas Bean also found that her back door was unlocked. He entered Sonia's home with his length of twine and a 10-inch knife, took off his shoes, and quietly crawled around in every room to make sure that Sonia was home alone. 
He then entered her bedroom and strangled her in her bed. Thomas Bean told investigators that as he chopped up Sonia's body, he played records on her stereo. On April 29, 1963, the state of Nevada charged Thomas Lee Bean with first-degree murder. At trial, Thomas Bean pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. A psychiatrist hired by his defense stated that Bean was insane under the McNaughton test. Under the McNaughton rule, should a person who commits a crime be unable to recognize that the crime is morally or legally wrong due to mental disease or defect, they should be found not guilty by reason of insanity. In a rebuttal, the state's two psychiatrists said that Thomas Bean was not insane under the test standard when he killed Sonia McCaskey. Thomas Bean did not testify. His defense counsel argued on his behalf that Thomas Bean belonged in a mental institution. In their summation, they said, quote, Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Bean needs help. He is himself a sick boy, but we need help more than he does. And the only way we are going to be able to help ourselves is by placing Tom in an institution where he can be studied and examined and re-studied and re-examined until perhaps the day will come that we can anticipate in little kids that they may someday become murderers and prevent it before it happens and not put them away after it happens. If you, by your verdict, kill Tom Bean, we haven't learned anything and we have spent a lot of money and we are not going to bring back Sonia McCaskey. But if by your verdict, you declare him to be insane, then we at least are in a position where we can study him and can learn from him and maybe save a lot of other Sonia McCaskies. The jury disagreed. On July 8th, 1963, three months after Sonia McCaskey's murder, the jury returned with their verdict after just 70 minutes deliberation. 18-year-old Thomas Lee Bean was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. When his verdict was read, Bean smiled and said, thanks. Thomas Bean doesn't like to talk about the murder, but when asked why he raped and killed Sonia McCaskey, Thomas Bean said that when he was a child, his mother had a lot of male visitors over that she had sex with. By age six, Thomas Bean said that he developed a fantasy that when he first had sex with someone, he was going to kill that person. At the time of Sonia's murder, Thomas Bean had been thinking about raping and murdering a woman for 12 years. Sonia McCaskey was chosen at random. 
1972, the United States Supreme Court overruled all pending death sentences, and Thomas Lee Beam's death sentence was commuted to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Thomas Lee Bean is still serving his sentence today at a medium security prison in Carson City, Nevada. The now 74-year-old has been in prison for 56 years. He is Nevada's longest serving inmate. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.